The Synod on Synodality kicked off this week with news of five cardinals sending new formal questions to Pope Francis, asking for clarity on matters of doctrine and discipline. What else can we expect from the coming month? And what is this synod really about? The world over Synod Central begins with a report by the National Catholic Register's senior correspondent, Edward Penton, then former prefect of the Vatican Supreme Court and one of the five dubia cardinals, His Eminence Raymond Cardinal Burke is here. Synod participant and former head of the Vatican's doctrinal office, Gerhard Cardinal Mueller, as well as the papal posse, Father Gerald Murray and Robert Royal will provide their unique and insightful analysis. A must-see world over begins right now. Now, Raymond Arroyo. A warm welcome to all of you joining us in the United States and the world over. This is one of the most critically important shows I think we've done thus far this year. I hope you'll DVR these episodes in the coming weeks and this one. Send it to family and friends. Hopefully discuss it. They're all on our YouTube page. You can also find it on the World Over Live Twitter feed and my personal feed. Lots to cover. Let's get started. The long-awaited Synod on Synodality has begun in Rome after much fanfare and a lot of breaking news, including two sets of dubia. Now, those are questions to the Pope, formal questions from his cardinals, and the release of Pope Francis's follow-up to his environmental encyclical entitled Laudate Deum, Praise God. Reporting from EWTN Studios in Rome is senior correspondent for the National Catholic Register, Edward Penton. Ed, thanks for being here. I want to start with this bombshell revelation. Uh, New formal questions, dubia, submitted to the Pope by five cardinals, Burke, Brandmuller, Sarah, Ignace, and Cardinal Zen. They asked Pope Francis to clarify Pope's uh, points of doctrine and discipline, from ordaining women to blessing gay unions. We're going to get into all those issues in a bit with the cardinals. But how did this shape the opening of the synod or shift the thinking in Rome, what was the reaction? Yes, it's um, this obviously came out of the blue for many people, and I think it really set the. Uh, uh, I think it clarified things for for a lot of people who perhaps weren't aware of the discussions at the synod and uh, weren't aware of the the controversies of, among these key issues that they raised in the dubia. So I think that that's what uh, the purpose was, or rather the effect of this dubia has been was been to really shed a light on these issues that were otherwise. Uh, not not really focused upon. So that that I think has been the main the main issue here. Yeah, I mean the synod as a whole has been a sleeper in the media, but this certainly got the world's attention when you saw headlines: the Pope softens Church's position on blessing gay unions and all the other uh, you know kind of headlines that came from this uh, questioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, between these cardinals and the Pope. Uh, The Pope also at the same time released Laudate Deum. This is, praise God, his sequel to the environmental encyclical a few years ago, Laudato Si. Why release this now, Ed? And what was the thinking here on the very eve of the Synod? Yes, I don't know if it was really connected with the Synod, but it was certainly, um, I think, to time with this COP28 meeting that's coming up and the, 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 the UN intergovernmental 
panel on climate change. I think they, he wanted to time it with that and try to uh, increase the urgency to take action against climate change. Uh, the Pope, as we know, has been very keen on this issue um, and has been trying to, to lead the way in that respect. I think there's, um, there's concern, of course, that, uh, that he's perhaps giving too much attention to this and uh, not to other issues which are also, uh, some would argue, more, mm -hmm. more important or more urgent, moral issues particularly. But anyway, he has, um, this is what he's wanted to do. And, uh, and uh, so it's very much a sequel to, of course, Laudato Si, but it's not an encyclical. It's an apostolic exhortation. So it's, it's not, as, um, mm -hmm. not as authoritative uh, or as theological as, as the encyclical Laudato Si. Yeah, it's sort of a papal opinion. And I mean, it's not on faith and morals. So the question is, how right. much credence does one give it? Certainly, you have to read it with respect. But whether the policy uh, prognostications there should be followed or not, I think that's up to everybody's conscience. But Edward, before we let you go, you wrote a column yeah. uh, this week comparing the family synods from nearly a decade ago to this synod on synodality, at least in process. How do you think those synods mm -hmm. are related and how do they predict the direction of this synod? Well, it's very interesting looking back at the family synods, Raymond, because the methodology was, was crucial at that. And it was because there were people have criticized the methodology of those, those synods that, we led, that it led to Amoris Laetitia and a lot of the disruption and the upheaval that, came, that followed from that. And also theologians who've used Amoris Laetitia to, to bring in dissenting opinions, whether it's to do with contraception or homosexuality. So it's interesting to see how the controversies over the methodology of the synods and family led to that, that uh, disruptive fruit, as it were, and that we're seeing it again with this synod, and actually with all the synods, they've all been, uh, to some extent, having that, uh, that problematic methodology. And, and the key part of it is, is sort of uh, listening to everyone, it seems, but except those who are upholding orthodoxy and, uh, and the church's magisterium that's been taught for 2,000 years. So, you know, it's the, the, that, that side is, seems to be banished, while every other uh, school of thought or opinion or, or ideology has been accepted. And that goes right back to the synods and the family that we've seen. And it's, it's really opposite to, mm. or very different to the, to the synods under John Paul II and Benedict, who, who would affirm doctrine first and then look at how that teaching can be better applied to today's uh, world. And as you point out, those were synods of bishops, only bishops who would vote and reflect on those, whatever issue the Holy Father was pondering. Now we're talking about, in the words of Pope Francis, everyone is welcome. Well, if everyone is welcome, but you have an invited guest list, I mean, I'm not welcome. Many of these viewers aren't welcome. People going to the Latin Mass aren't welcome. Uh, very faithful Catholics who are pro-life aren't welcome. Right. Family advocates aren't welcome. So I, I don't know what everybody welcome even means, much less the methodology at play here. But it's clearly... In the words of Cardinal Zen, we'll get into this later, there is a manipulation happening in the way this was structured and the protocol within yep. this synod that I do think causes one to reflect on what is going to come out of this and what the intention is. Edward Penton, as always, thank you for being here. We will be checking back with you, you in the days ahead. And you could follow Edward Penton's reports and columns on X at Edward Penton. Joining me now to share his thoughts on this Synod of Bishops is one of the five cardinals who submitted those dubia to the Pope, the former head of the Vatican's highest court, one of the world's foremost canon lawyers, 
Raymond Cardinal Burke, Your Eminence, thank you for being with us on this important occasion. Among the dubia questions you and the other cardinals submitted to the Pope to clarify teaching once thought settled included the blessing of same-sex unions, women's ordination, sacramental absolution, and the nature of the synod itself. What was your reaction to the answers you received? And why submit them as yes-no answers? Well, we pose the questions because these are matters, serious matters, fundamental matters of church teaching and discipline. And we saw that they were being called into question uh, by the synodal documents themselves, but also by those who were leading the the synodal process. And for that reason, we, uh, in conscience, we pose these questions to the Holy Father. Uh, when he responded to us, as we explained in the letter with which we resubmitted the dubia, reformulated them so that they could receive a simple yes or no answer, uh, we simply mm-hmm. uh, indicated that he he hadn't responded to uh, to our questions and asked him to please do so for the good of souls, because many people are being uh, led astray, are being confused. Not only Catholics, but other people who look to the Catholic Church as a great moral teacher uh, are beginning to wonder well, what the Catholic Church really teaches. And we need the supreme pastor of the church to confirm us in the Catholic faith. And that's what we were asking him to do. This is nothing to do. People are saying that, you know, we're attacking the Holy Father. And that we have, this is not the question at all. We're trying to help him. Uh, to carry out his very serious office in a, in a most difficult time. Yeah. You, you know, I, I read an account where uh, an unnamed cardinal or two are suggesting that somehow you are undermining the unity of the faith, attacking the Holy Father. Even Cardinal Fernandez has insinuated as much. Is that what you're trying to do here? Just upset everyone before the synod? It seems to me to be absurd to suggest that cardinals who are asking that doctrines and disciplines which have uh, been uh, with the church over the centuries uh, be confirmed, be be set forth again, are working against the unity of the church. Uh, Just the opposite. Uh, When we teach the truth, when we we teach the, the correct morals, uh, this is what unifies us in Christ following his teaching. Mm. And so uh, this kind of accusation is just absurd. Uh, unless you have the strange idea, which some people have, that uh, individuals can create their own doctrine according to their feelings and so forth. Uh, but that is not, that's not Catholic. Cardinal Burke, in 2021, the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith issued a response to a question, a dubium, about whether the church has the authority to bless unions of persons of the same sex. The response given was a simple and customary one-word answer, no. Now, according to this October 2nd answer to your formal question, Pope Francis reportedly says, we'll put it on the screen, we cannot be judges who only deny, push back and exclude. Pastoral prudence must adequately discern whether there are forms of blessing requested by one or more persons that do not transmit a mistaken conception of marriage. Your Eminence, though he says the bishops' conferences should not establish this as a rule, he is saying it should be left up to pastors. This seems to contradict the prior ruling of the Vatican Doctrinal Office. Is it now permissible for the Church to bless same-sex unions? 
you cannot the point and we we raise it in the dubium uh, with regard to the I think it's number three with regard to the same sex unions uh, you cannot bless uh, sinful acts you you cannot bless uh, a relationship which in itself uh, is involved with with intrinsically evil acts and and therefore it's it's not possible to to bless these unions in any way and to uh, we yes we are judges we have to judge between what is right and what is wrong and and we know on the authority of the, of divine revelation that uh, that genital acts between people of the same sex are intrinsically evil. So the, the, the human sexuality was made for marriage and for the procreation of children, and sexual acts outside of the marital union are sinful. And that's, that's the long and the short of it. We say it with charity. We try to help people to understand this, but we don't uh, give blessings that cannot be interpreted otherwise, that somehow yeah. uh, we think that this, this is good. Your eminence, we have uh, what appears to my eye is that there is already a schism, if you will, between practice that is now being blessed and indeed advanced by the Vatican and Catholic doctrine and belief, which you and others say, no, no, this is the teaching of the church. Is this the beginning of something that we've seen in the Anglican communion, which has torn it apart? It really is just this issue, which has divided these other communions. Are we going to see that in Catholicism? Well, our Lord has promised us that he would remain with us in the church until the last day, till the end of the age. And uh, our Lord doesn't lie. We trust him. Uh, We have simply to be his faithful uh, co-workers, soldiers, if I may say, and defend the truths of the faith. And if there are those who are denying those truths of the faith, it's they are the ones who are going into schism. Uh, this is very sad, but it has to be declared. Uh, you can't reconcile these positions with Catholic faith and practice, and that uh, uh, has to be made clear to everyone. And this is what the world most needs today from the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and this is what we we pray and we work uh, uh, to do. Your what do you say to loyal Catholics, heartbroken faithful, whom I've heard from all this week, the poor uh, uh, and the unknown, the wealthy and the famous, they've stopped me on streets, they've stopped me in hallways. What do you say to them when they ask, where do we go now? What do we do? This is the Pope permitting what just a few years ago and for centuries was considered impossible. What do you say to them? We stay with Christ in the church, and we, and, and if it's even if the Pope himself uh, is announcing things that are false, we defend the truth, and we, we, as Saint Paul did with Saint Peter, we we also address the the Pope himself with our our concerns, and and uh, and, and seek from him the exercise of his Petrine office. And we keep seeking it, like the widow in the gospel. We keep uh, insisting on it, and uh, we trust that our Lord is going to uh, bring this to a, a good end. This terrible suffering in the meantime, I, I don't in any way uh, underestimate the suffering of good Catholics. I have to say that uh, 
Uh, I don't know how, how good a Catholic I am, but I suffer from it too. But we have to trust mm-hmm. our Lord. We have to stay with him. The answer is not going somewhere else. No, we're, we, we are in the mm-hmm. church. St. Athanasius was uh, sent into exile and suffered all kinds of, of uh, uh, terrible punishments for, for defending the faith. And we have to be ready to do that too. Before I let you go, the Synod lead up has focused a great deal on women's ordination and women's role in the church and uh, LGBTQ issues. Your eminence, your recent book refers to the Synod on Synodality as a Pandora's box. I've been saying that this is not about any of those issues. It is truly a revolution in the decision-making mechanism of the church. In your opinion, what is the true intention of this Synod as it is being operated? Well, simply, it, it undermines the nature of the church as the Lord instituted it, which is in the Second Vatican Council. It's called a hierarchical communion, which is the the correct description of the church, one holy Catholic and apostolic. The synod is a process. Uh, it has a, a history in the church to assist pastors in carrying out their duties, but it has no content to it in itself. The content is, are the truths of the faith, is the church's discipline. And so this uh, this notion, which no one will define, which uh, they claim that we'll understand it by doing it, which is, is nonsense, mm-hmm. uh, the, this is simply a, a tool, it's a, it's, a, it's a theater in order to advance all of these agenda, and we have to call mm-hmm. a halt to it because it's, it's uh, creating a terrible damage to the church and suffering. They won't destroy the church because our Lord has promised that the that non prevalent, they won't prevail, but this, we have to do our best to, to, to stop this. The, the, the synod organizers say they're listening to the Holy Spirit. The, the question is, who is to establish that? And is it the Holy Spirit if it contradicts the revelation of Jesus and the Scriptures? I mean, this feels more like a global seance with predetermined outcomes. No, this is the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit who's been speaking to the church for some 2,000 years. The Holy Spirit doesn't contradict himself. Uh, If for 2,000 years he inspired us to understand that, for instance, uh, uh, certain acts are sinful, today he's not going to inspire us to say, oh, no, those acts are good. And I hear all this talk about the Holy Spirit, but no one talks about obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit speak to us? He speaks to us, yes, in prayer, but also through the Church's teaching, through her sacred liturgy. And this idea that we, that we as you say, into some kind of seance or go off into some place and that, and that here now the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, uh, that he's not speaking to us in, in, all these, in so many other ways in the Church, that isn't correct. We have to understand that the, the Holy Spirit is in the living tradition, is speaking to us in the living tradition of the church, and, uh, and that that will not contradict what uh, the Holy Spirit has inspired uh, over these 2,000 years, and, and that has to be clear to everyone. You know, before I let you go, it just occurred to me, I was reading the Holy Father's um, introductory statement, his, his homily at the top of this synod, and he warned about the temptation to becoming a rigid church that looks backward. He's been warning of ideology. Some would say, indeed, I imagine 
the Senate organizers would say, you, Cardinal Burke, are the emblem of that looking back of that rigid ideology. What do you say in response? <laughs> the, uh, our, our tradition is living, is active, it's Jesus Christ himself, the one and the same from the apostolic times, uh, acting in his, in his mystical body, and we are, are branches inserted into the, the vine who is, who is Christ. And therefore, I, we, we have constantly to look to the, what the church has always taught and practiced to get, the rea- uh, to get our direction for the present time. And that isn't, that isn't something rigid or backward. It's something very freeing and, uh, and very creative. It always has been. The whole history of the church is uh, all the great saints, uh, uh, all the great works of the church uh, are, are, are testimony to this. And if we suddenly say mm-hmm. now, well, all of that, that in the past is this is kind of an ecclesial wokeism, I guess that that that's all bad, and now we're the great ones today who are going to reinvent the church. Uh, no, it's what it is. It's a it's a, a, a manipulation of the church uh, to suit the times, and, and there are many things about the times that uh, have nothing to do with Christ or with with eternal salvation, and they they need the church to con. To, the church needs to confront the times and call, call the times to conversion. Your, Your Eminence, you and those five cardinals are sort of being singled out for, you know, disrupting the church or disrupting the synod. Are you alone? Have you heard from other cardinals and bishops who support you in those dubia questions? Well, yes, there are other cardinals or other bishops uh, that I'm in communication with who, for various reasons, some have publicly given support to the dubia, others privately, for various reasons they don't want to to make to make this public. Mm-hmm. I believe also that there be many. I can't believe that any good bishop would not be very sensitive to these very serious questions which are being raised by this whole synodal process. Raymond Cardinal Burke, always a pleasure having you with us. Thank you for your clarity, and we will check in with you in the weeks ahead. Cardinal's website is cardinalburke.com. Thank you, Your Eminence. Thank you, Raymond. God bless you. Now I want to go to Synod voting participant and former head of the Vatican's doctrinal office, Cardinal Gerhard Mueller. Your Eminence, thank you so much for being here. And I know today was your first day in the small groups of this Synod. Uh, I want to pick up on what Cardinal Burke had said about the synodal agenda. You were chosen to be a participant among bishops and clergy and lay people at the Synod on Synodality. Now, this has been sold as a synod of bishops. Given that lay people are voting participants, is it a synod of bishops in your estimation? As there was a question on our table, what is the nature and the substance of this synod? Normally, is a synod of the bishops, uh, an assembly of the bishops, and now the uh, lay people has the same uh, vote, and therefore they changed uh, it's the nature is only assembly of bishops, priests, uh, religious, and and lay uh, people consulting, speaking about uh, several aspects. But the form uh, uh, synod of the bishops was an expression of the collegiality of the bishops, 
and uh, not only consul con consulting a little bit or speaking about uh, several um, questions, uh, but to exercise uh, the collegiality with the Pope, because the Pope is not a, a super bishop, but he is a bishop among the bishops, but he is uh, the mm. principal, the center of this uh, episcopacy, and therefore n nobody knows what is meant with this uh, giving uh, the votes also to the lay people because uh, the nature of this assembly has uh, changed. Uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on something your successor, Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, said recently in an interview with our own Ed Penton. Mm -hmm. uh, he warned bishops in particular not to, quote, judge the doctrine of the Holy Father. He also spoke of a unique charism that was only Pope Francis's. Your eminence, does the person of the Pope have a doctrine or magisterium unique to himself? There doesn't exist the doctrine of the Popes because existing in the Church only the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the Apostles and the Church, the official uh, confession of our uh, faith. And uh, the Pope and the Bishop are the promoters of this doctrine, but they don't have uh, own doctrine. Uh, when uh, Pope Benedict XVI wrote his book, his famous book about Jesus, in, in the foreword, he distinguished, he said, it's my own theological opinion, but I am not uh, speaking here as the uh, Pope. Surely the Pope has a special authority in the Church according to our Catholic faith, but he is not a person who receives a new revelation. The revelation is once and forever given in Jesus Christ. Therefore, this idea formulated by the new prefect is a very new idea, special idea, never I heard of it. I was 16 years professor of dogmatics, and I know all the documents about the papacy and all the councils, but I never I read anything about this special uh, charism or gift of the Pope only given to Pope Francis and not to the mm -hmm. former uh, popes. Yeah, well, those former popes should go and ask for, you know, they, they need to be upgraded. They missed out that they had private doctrine to themselves. Cardinal Mueller, you spoke recently about the treatment of certain bishops in the church who seem to be taking great care to protect the deposit of faith and lead and teach their flocks. Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, comes to mind, who was recently investigated by the Vatican on really for very little reasons. Your eminence, do you see a double standard at work in the Vatican? treatment of bishops, particularly when you see merciful treatment afforded to sexual predators like Marco Rupnik and a few other bishops I could name but won't. Yeah, the bishops are instituted by Jesus Christ in the sacrament of the ordination, um, episcopal consecration, and they are not the delegates uh, of the Pope, the functioners of the Pope, and therefore only in a case if they are is going anything wrong in the doctrine or in the moral behavior, there can be made um, an investigation, uh, but not a visitation only for uh, to discipline uh, 
a bishop who is called too conservative. What is conservative? A bishop must be orthodox, uh, not in the political sense conservative or Republicans or Democrats or anything. It's political. Mm -hmm. Uh, political uh, concepts, but not uh, the theological concept, and therefore, yeah. I criticize it openly. I criticized it also. I've spoken about it. <clears throat> that is a shame that the good bishops, uh, orthodox bishops, are under this uh, pressure, and other people uh, who are doing uh, a lot of things very uh, wrong and. Um, also, also has heterodoxes or in the heresies, uh, they mm -hmm. can uh, await uh, from Rome uh, a big uh, tolerance. We must be tolerant against uh, mm -hmm. the the truth, but intolerant intolerant against the lies. Your Eminence, in addition to the set of dubious sent to Pope Francis by Cardinal Burke and others. Czech Cardinal Dominic Duca also sent a set of dubia to Pope Francis. One of those questions asked by the Cardinal regarded Catholic divorces without annulments receiving Holy Communion, divorcees rather. The answer given by the Pope and his chief doctrinal officer, Cardinal Fernandez, said the following. Amoris Laetitia opens the possibility of access to the sacraments of reconciliation and Eucharist when in a particular case there are limitations that mitigate responsibility and guilt, end quote. Your Eminence, at the time we said Amoris Laetitia, that footnote would become its own book. It has. Uh, that answer seems to contradict the Council of Trent, St. John Paul II's 1993 encyclical Veritatis Splendor, and uh, I mean it's practically a whole pass to adultery. Is adultery no longer a sin? And are adulterers welcome to communion now? Is this an evolution of doctrine that we're seeing? I think it's very clear in the, the Old Testament, the commandments in the New Testament, that all sins in the, the sexual, sexual behavior outside the, the legitimate matrimony is a mortal sin, and that can, nobody can change it. It is the word of God, and, and these declarations, uh, in this sense, uh, interpretations, are not only against the uh, documents of the former popes and, and the councils, but are going directly against the word of God. And the Second Vatican Council said the magisterium is not superior to the word of God, but is under the word of God and serves uh, uh, to him and the Pope and nobody in the church has the authority uh, to relativize the commandments of God. So, Cardinal Mueller, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're basically saying the Pope and Cardinal Fernandez really are, are stating something that is not true and impossible in the Catholic faith, granting communion to divorcees who have not r reconciled, who have not, uh, you know, who are either remarried or in a new relationship. If you are asking them what is the truth, they will repeat the, the doctrine of the church, but then they make their exceptions. But in some cases, there are no exceptions. <laughs> and uh, mm. we cannot uh, relativize the word of God with the so-called uh, 
ethics of the situation. No? The situation is belonging yes. to our subjective uh, condition, but yes. not to the objective conditions for the sacraments. Your Eminence, I only have one minute left. Uh, you said no. before this synod that this was really a hijacking of the church. That's what you called the synod itself. After a day of taking part in this, do you have the same opinion? Is that what's happening here? Yeah, the experience with the table uh, uh, took uh, a place um, was, was very good, and, and I have, uh, therefore, a certain form of optimism. Uh, but at the end, uh, we must wait uh, in what direction it will uh, go and what will be the de decisions behind uh, the scenery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is, a, that yes. is always uh, the, the problem. Well, Paul. I'm glad you're there, willing to speak the truth in those doors, and uh, we will check in with you in the weeks ahead, Your Eminence. Thank you so much for being here. Cardinal Gerhard Mueller, we wish you the best. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Now we convene Synod Central with their reactions to Cardinal Burke and Mueller is the papal posse, editor-in-chief of thecatholicthing.org, Robert Royal, and canon lawyer and priest of the Archdiocese of New York, Father Gerald Murray. Gentlemen, always a pleasure to be okay, with you. Yeah. I want to start okay. with the bombshell of the week. The new dubia presented to Pope Francis by Cardinals Burke and Zen, Sarah, Brand Mueller, and Inues. The reveal was timed for maximum effect earlier this week. Father Jerry, I'll begin with you. Your thoughts on what Cardinal Burke said earlier, that this is not an attack on the person of the Pope, that that's not what he's trying to do here. No, Cardinal Burke is absolutely right. What's at issue here is the doctrine being taught by the Pope and by others, uh, which contradicts uh, previous teaching, particularly in regards to blessing of homosexual unions, giving communion to divorce and remarried, and then the very concerning question of whether the church is going to reopen uh, the study of ordinate, ordination of women uh, to the diaconate and the priesthood. Uh, and uh, there is a great pressure to do all of that. Uh, the Pope has given answers in these regards that are very troubling, and his response in the dubia really is troubling, particularly on the question of homosexual blessings, which he's encouraging pastors to do, as long as they're not confused with marriage. Uh, the communion for divorce and remarry, which started with Amoris Laetitia, that was also reaffirmed by the Pope in his response to a separate dubia question sent by Cardinal Duca uh, from Prague. So we have here a lot of issues. They have nothing to do with personalities. You know, this is not about... I like this man, I don't like that man. This is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as it's been pointed out uh, by many observers, the real issue here is, is divine revelation true and is it binding? That's the real issue because mm. the reformers and the innovators, they're basically pushing divine revelation aside in favor of what Cardinal Burke called wokeism, giving into a secular agenda that's very popular in the Western world right now. Bob, your reaction, and what did you make of the other signatories to this, uh, the, these dubias, uh, Cardinal Zen and Sarah in particular? Aren't the participants a message of their own here, in addition to the questions for clarity? I mean, these are men of real statures. Sarah, uh, the former head of the liturgical office at the Vatican, divine worship, and Cardinal Zen, this heroic white martyr of, of freedom in China and a real clarion of truth. And, and defiant truth under terrible circumstances. 
Yeah, as we, as we know, they, these are five men from five different continents. So basically, we have a representation of the entire world asking the Holy Father to clarify something that has remained in, in limbo in a variety of ways. And as we know, in the modern world, if you don't say no, the answer is yes. So we start to see the, uh, the response to the dubia, which were, were inadequate, and actually they were re reformulated, I think as, uh, the Card as Cardinal Burke said, they wanted a simple yes or no, which would, would set down some mm. sort of, of marker. Instead, what we're getting is sort of very, very subtle attempts to say, well, you know, of course, uh, blessing same-sex marriage is not the same as Christian marriage, but there are circumstances in which this is absolutely going to be lost on anybody but the people, people in the theological guild who already believe that that is true. And the same thing is, is true about the, uh, the way they've talked about divorce and, and remarriage that what they're, they're, uh, and, and, and receiving communion. What they're saying is, well, if you really consult your conscience and you wrestle with it and you decide that you can come forward for communion, then it's b between you and God. This, is, this, again, is a distinction that is going to disappear because, as I like to joke sometimes, when people wrestle with their consciences, it's amazing how often they win against them. But, look, these men are coming <laughs> forward and saying yeah. this, uh, what, a, what seems to be subtlety and, and uh, a, a, a type of ambiguity is actually a defection from the, the, what the church has taught uh, throughout its entire 2,000-year history. And these are men, particularly Zen. Zen wrote a letter himself, as you know, Raymond, we'll probably get to. Um, yeah, we're going to get into that encouraging in encouraging participants in the synod to, to, resist, to resist what's going on. Yeah, yeah, let's get into that letter. This is a newly obtained letter, and we learned it was written in September. Cardinal Joseph Zen sent this to bishops and cardinals attending the synod. And he implored them to petition the Vatican and Pope Francis to change the procedures of the synod. He warned against what he called reinvention of true synodality. He writes, they, the synod organizers, begin by saying we must listen to all. Little by little, they make us understand that among the all are those whom we have, quote, excluded. Finally, we understand that they, they mean, uh, what they mean are people who opt for a sexual morality different from that of Catholic tradition, end quote. Father Jerry, your thought on Zen's observations here. Cardinal Zen also wrote about the phenomenon of conversation in small groups, uh, which he says shuts down true discussion and debate of the entire body. Well, Cardinal Zen really is a heroic figure, and uh, he's experienced uh, how communists act and I think he sees some analogies here in terms of how communists pretend to have consultation with the people, but it's all manipulated. It's sort of like the Politburo in the Soviet Union, the Communist Party Central Committee. The word comes down, everybody has to say yes to it, and then everybody applauds at the end. Uh, this is not how a synod should be carried out. Uh, so to the point of organization, this synod is largely centering around group discussions uh, which are held at tables, and then there's an, an, an official rapporteur from the central, from the committee of the uh, Senate who will gather up what's said, write a report, submit it. Uh, there's not much opportunity for the general congregations where people could speak freely. And that really is what a Senate's supposed to be about, speaking freely and trying to convince others of your point of view, not simply sitting around at a table and say, well, how does everybody react to this proposition? Um, yeah, and th there's a great fascination with people who want to change morality with the idea 
if people don't accept Catholic teaching, the problem is with Catholic teaching. And the church's answer is always, there's no problem with God's revelation. The problem is with us, fallen human beings. And the call to conversion, mm -hmm. as uh, uh, Cardinal Burke uh, pointed out, that's how Christ began his preaching. We should always highlight the call to conversion, not the call to submission to the standards of the modern world. Bob, Cardinal Zen also condemns the idea that there's some agenda at play. He calls that assertion a, quote, offense to our intelligence. Cardinal Zen does. What have you been hearing on the ground in Rome? And is Cardinal Zen's a common observation? Well, I wouldn't say it was common. I, th I think anyone who wants to really understand some of the underlying qu questions about the Senate ought to read his letter because it's very incisive. Uh, he, he's dealt with people like this, as Father said before, and he wants to make sure that we understand what's going on. Look, the, the thing that I think is, is probably even more worrisome than these hot-button issues like gays and, and divorced and remarried and possibly deaconesses is that they're talking about mm -hmm. a difference in the governance of the church. Although they keep saying that this is just a, a chance for, for people to walk together, is that what's really going on? I mean, if, if this is really an exercise for a whole month of people kind of just conversing with one another, becoming familiar with one another's positions, coming to like one another, that's all, that's all well and good. But in, the church isn't there just to facilitate that kind of social life. What it's there to do is to bring to bear on the world, the revelation that God has given us, which is the only thing, as Cardinal Burke was saying, that can, can save us. All the rest of the things are, are secondary matters. And it would be great if, in addition to this uh, maybe greater friendship that people are going to have from all parts of the church, they also became more familiar as a result of interactions with what the real teaching of the church is. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Father Jerry, uh, Bob jumped ahead of me a little bit. I was going to ask you, what do you think is the real intention of, you know, this entire synod? But it seems like the organizers here, with papal approval, are hijacking language. They're demonizing anyone who raises questions. But they are attempting to refashion how the church makes decisions, how it is governed. Well, that's the big problem. What does synodality mean uh, as a style which is supposed to be experienced at all levels of church life? Uh, the fact that lay people are here given the equal vote as bishops, and as Cardinal Muller stated so well, this is denature. It's taking away the nature of what a synod is and making it something else. But that seems to be an indication that now, uh, according to the synodal church, uh, bishops alone can't make decisions without getting the approval of a group of lay people, for instance, in their diocese. Uh, now lay people are given roles in the Roman Curia that they never had before. And this is causing great confusion because people who are ordained bishops, that's a divine gift which comes from the Savior uh, because they are, in fact, the shepherds of the sheep. And there's no disgrace in not being a shepherd. Uh, we're all sheep. We're all born as sheep of Christ in baptism. Uh, and then some are raised to positions of authority in order to benefit the church through the administration of the sacraments and guidance and, and teaching. But this idea that it's inauthentic unless everybody has a, has a say and a decision-making power, that's not how the Catholic Church is organized. And I'm afraid that's what's behind at least some of the uh, ideological mm -hmm. points that are coming out of the Instrumentum Laboris, the working document. And then this whole mystifying practice where, you know, 
we're going to find out what it is as we go along. You know, that reminds of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll know what the bill yeah. says after we pass it. Uh, no, pass that's it. not how yeah. we operate in the Catholic Church. You want to read the scriptures? You read the scriptures. You learn what it says. You, you want to send it to have a meaning? Tell me what you're about. Don't tell me I'll find out as I yeah. sit there. And now, of course, the information is controlled very tightly, so I may not find out everything I do need mm -hmm. to know. Yeah, and I'll, I want to get into that in a moment. Bob, Cardinal Mueller touched on this as well when he spoke about the synod being a manipulation and his criticisms of the treatment of Orthodox bishops. Do you see a full-scale effort here to remake the structures, the processes of the church? And what do you think the end result is if successful? Well, I, I think there's an effort here to democratize, even though the, there's a denial that that's actually what's going on. I mean, why else would you... Uh, as Father says, uh, change this this structure that has existed in the church. You know, when we say apostolic, we say it, we mean it comes not only from Jesus, from, but from the apostles, who he appointed to be his mm -hmm. teachers and and his evangelists in the world. So this this goes right back to the, the very beginning. What the actual result of this is is going to be, I, I don't think we'll know for a while, because it's it's such an obvious. Uh, revolution in the way that the church conducts its own business. I don't know how much of what uh, people say in the synod is actually going to make a difference at the end of the day, but clearly the people who are running the synod are going to be able to claim, because we're not going to have votes as in previous synods about who approved or who disapproved of points, but we're going to have our reports right. on what was discussed. And I think we know pretty well mm -hmm. what the rapporteurs who have been appointed as, as part of the, the synodal structure, how they're going to be inclined to report on what actually happened in these discussions. So I think in the short run, there's going to be an inclination to to overemphasize things like LGBT and, and the other things that we've talked about, which, of course, will be blown up in the secular press as if it's what everything that's going on. And I think all of us mm -hmm. ought to be very cautious about actually reporting on this because the, there's such a restriction of what's going to be coming out officially that we want to be careful not to jump ahead and assume that certain things have happened or believe certain things that people are saying. We're going to have to be very cautious. But the long-term goal, it seems to me, is precisely this type of democratization in the church, which I don't know how it can possibly be integrated with the kind of, of uh, hierarchical structure of priests, bishops, archbishops, and cardinals, and then the pope. But I think that's what yeah. they're hoping that in the course of synodality we're going to find out. Well, Bob, we don't know the outcome of this synod, but I will tell you, these, these dubia responses from the Holy Father and Cardinal Fernandez, his doctrinal officer, th these are disturbing, and I, I want to dive into this for a moment. Czech Cardinal Dominic Duca sent a question, a formal question to dubia to the Pope, asking about Catholic divorcees without annulments and whether they should be given communion. And now, blessings of gay unions predicated all of this all of it is being predicated on that footnote in Amoris Laetitia. Uh, people have tried to smear and dismiss us as papal critics. Uh, I, I want to be clear. I'm a reporter, okay? We are calling things as we see them for what they are. This isn't criticism or animus or ideology. It's facts. You don't like the facts? Take it up with the people creating them. Here's the papal posse from April 2016 on that infamous footnote, and then I'll get your reaction. Watch. It does say it. Uh, the church should accompany some people in irregular unions with the sacraments. But the point being, uh, 
the Pope would like people to have the opportunity, in particular cases, after talking to a priest, after re reviewing the guidelines of the local bishop, uh, to be able to receive communion. This is a direct contradiction of Pope John Paul II in Familiaris Consortio and subsequent documents. It contradicts the catechism of the Catholic Church. Robert Royal, last year you will remember, uh, I think it was the, the end of the year show or the New Year show, and I boldly and perhaps uh, brazenly predicted that Pope Francis was going to change the practice, if not the doctrine of the Church vis-à-vis communion for divorced and remarried people, and that it would have the effect of changing the doctrine. Has that happened? Father Jerry and then Bob, after seven years, were we correct? Are we witnessing the beginning of a change in practice that will de facto change the doctrine no matter how many times you say it hasn't changed? Absolutely. Uh, Cardinal Fernandez's response to the uh, dubia, which Pope Francis endorsed by signing it, uh, states flat out that if someone in conscience decides that they're in an adult, he doesn't use this language of adultery. By the way, notice how they never call it adultery. They call it a regular situation. But I'll call it what the Bible uses, the word adultery. You know, if a man who leaves, who divorces a wife and marries another commits adultery. And he says people in that situation, if they in conscience are comfortable with it and they're not able to change, then they can go to the sacrament of Holy Eucharist. This is an abomination. This is wrong. It is a direct contradiction of the teaching of our divine Savior. The Catholic Church has never endorsed this. It is wrong. Uh, we've gone from a footnote now to a direct answer that the Pope has endorsed by uh, his doctrinal chief. And this is a big problem. You, the reality is you can't change the Lord's teaching. You can ignore it or deprecate it or put it aside. But, you know, this is the original dubia. We're saying, what happens to the marriage that got a divorce. Isn't that, don't we teach that marriage is lifelong? We do. So this is wrong and this the is Holy a problem. Sacrament. This will have to be remedied by the next pope because it can't stand. At the time when we discussed that in 2016, you were a little hesitant to say that the doctrine might, uh, you know, be leading to, or, or that the practice might be leading to a doctrinal change. What are your thoughts now, particularly sitting in Rome as the Synod begins? Well, Raymond, I wish you hadn't brought up ancient histories uh, in this show. But um, <laughs> look, I, we, we can predict with almost, with almost absolute certainty, right, that if it gets abroad and it's going to be disseminated not only by the mainstream media but even by some organs in the church itself, but if it gets abroad that a bishop in a diocese or the priests underneath him in that diocese can do... Uh, uh, blessings of civil unions, because it has not been opposed by the Pope. He's raised the possibility that it could be okay. By the same token, if the, the possibility for a person who's divorced and remarried without an annulment, if that is raised, that in your conscience you decide you can come forth by, by communion and you can receive. If that is dis disseminated, and it will be, then we can predict with near certainty that almost no one will be able to resist. There'll be some heroic bishops who won't allow it in their dioceses. There'll be some heroic priests who also will not offer, say, communion or a blessing. But the general direction is going to be that the, the local pressure that will be put on bishops and priests by activists, by um, 
the, the media saying, you know, you're not even following your own pope's directives. He's allowed this possibility. You're not merciful. You're, you're rigid. You're terrible. I mean, how, how many people, how many bishops, how many priests are going to be able to resist that? I'm sorry to say that in the long run, I think it's going to be a very small percentage, and they're going to find themselves in trouble. So unlike my youthful self, I think that I'm now convinced that the practice will lead to a, a de facto change in doctrine. Unless it's wow. stopped, of course. Wow. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Father Jerry, uh, is it now permissible? I'm reading these headlines. The Pope softens church's position on blessing same-sex unions. That was a headline all over the country just the other day. Is And, and I'm getting incoming. I, I wish I could, I could read you my email. That could take like two hours. And, and these are people you would know, people you've never heard of. What does this mean? What are they saying? Does it mean that we are going to see not only adulterers, let's say it, that's what the church calls them, adulterers coming forward and receiving communion without any repentance or an annulment, and gay couples coming forward and getting a blessing in the Catholic Church? Is that now permitted? The response in the dubia by Pope Francis says that pastors should explore uh, forms of blessing that uh, for, um, for union of people who are in that situation that do not give the impression that it is a marital blessing, that it's a blessing of a marriage. He says it straight out. It's probably one of the most shocking things I've read of any pontiff, and certainly he is giving the go-ahead to pastors to do these things. This is really outrageous. This is contradicting directly what the Church has always taught and done. Uh, this contradicts what the, the Pope himself authorized for publication back in 2021. You might remember that famous document mm. from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith in which the, se the sentence was simple. We cannot bless sin. Well, now the Pope is saying, find ways to do this that don't give the impression that you're blessing a marriage. The second set of dubia uh, questions that Cardinal Burke and the other submitted rephrased and said, Holy Father, the issue here is not simply that people are going to think this is a marriage. They're going to think that homosexual activity is now good, is something that can be blessed, because remember what a blessing is. It's asking God to favor with his grace uh, certain forms of behavior. Uh, and this behavior, uh, you know, the biblical word is sodomy. This is a misuse of the sexual faculty uh, with the person of the same sex. It's wrong. It's never permissive. It's intrinsically wrong. That teaching is unchangeable. So I regret this falls in line. Remember the Pope said earlier in a film uh, interview, he said that he was in favor of civil unions for homosexuals. Uh, and mm -hmm. I was saying, no, wait a minute. You're encouraging people to enter into a state of life based on a mortal sin? So I, I, the same criticism applies here. I hope there's a great pressure put on the Pope from all the bishops throughout the world to say, Holy Father, we cannot do this. We cannot say that homosexual uh, it, it, activity is good and should be blessed. Well, at the top of the Synod, we, we have to say this. I mean, again, I, I, it, we have to report what's happening. And what has happened is the Vatican has essentially taken the German synodal way, and they just exported it to the entire world. So people were rending their garments over the German synodal way. I, I, I await the reaction to what we've just heard in these dubia 
responses. Gentlemen, before we run out of time, I want your thoughts on the idea of criticism, asking questions within the family of faith, even where it concerns the Vatican. The cardinals who have been asking these formal questions, these dubia, have been roundly attacked for simply seeking clarification. We on this program, the papal posse, you all, have been roundly condemned of late by certain media outlets for simply asking questions. Well, I think that any question that is raised to to help advance the truth, the truth of of Catholic revelation that's been given us by God, that it is not our creation, any question that that is raised in in sincerity and with respect and and whatnot, I I think that is part of what life in the church, if we want to talk about synodality, and the Pope tried Mm -hmm. to kind of, uh, I I think, do a little jujitsu with a the, the five cardinals, and saying that this is what we want in synodality. So they've spoken out boldly. But there's a way in which at least some of the people around the Pope, and sometimes, I'm, I'm sorry to say, he himself, have kind of personalized this as if to raise a question mm-hmm. that you, you, you feel you're, you're, you're trying to promote the fidelity to Christ himself, who came to earth and suffered and died on the cross for us, that you're raising that question that somehow you're attacking uh, the, the head of the church in in the world. I, I just don't see how this these things mesh together. It's a personalizing that's not really true, and I think Cardinal Burke has has said that. But you know, th- this being yeah. said, um, it, it's well known in theological circles that you make advances by asking questions. That you, if you read yeah. St. Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologiae, it's a series of questions. You ask a question. You answer right. it, you then ask another question, and that's the way you move forward. And that's true. That's true synodality. It is not disrespectful. Yeah. It, it is not a, a personal attack on the Pope. Well, and, and questions are not dangerous. Answers are sometimes dangerous, as we're, as we're learning. The first reactions to the synod, gentlemen, I have to say, to my eye in the United States, they don't seem all that great. No one here really knows what's happening or even what a synod is, which is the question I've gotten all week. The attendance at the papal mass over the weekend really to start this whole global affair was pretty sad. The attendance was scant, as you see in those images. Um, I have to say I've been struck by the number of Catholics who who I have heard um, who've come to me stopped me on the streets of New York in distress, asking, what should we do here? Should we become orthodox? They are literally being repelled by the news they're hearing, that they're seeing in dribs and drabs. My message to them is very simple. Um, If your mother were being attacked in your home, would you abandon her and look for another home? No, you stay and you fight for your mother. Well, Mother Church is now enduring similar violence. This is no time to flee. This is a time to stand firm, I think. Father, I'll let you have the last word, your reaction to what you're seeing in this first session, the early days there in Rome. And what would you say to those Catholics? No, I would say to the Catholics, we do not abandon ship uh, because there are storms tossing about Holy Mother Church. Father, I think you're right. And, you know, St. Paul, Catherine of Siena, they do furnish us with an example of challenging the Pope correcting the Pope, even in love and in the family. And maybe that's what people are called to do at this moment. We shall see. Gentlemen, we'll leave it there for commentary by Robert Royal and Father Gerald Murray and the regular Synod podcast from Rome. Visit thecatholicthing.org. And of course, follow EWT and go to the YouTube page for the World Over updates. This will be indispensable in these days. Uh, A little personal message. The Magnificent Mischief of Tad Lincoln is in bookstores now. 
Uh, it's available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, the EWTN catalog, wherever books are sold. Be sure to catch me on tour. I'll be starting this weekend, the Barnes & Noble in Metairie, Louisiana, on Friday. Then I'll be in Florida. I'm going to be at the uh, in Orlando, Florida, and then on to the Villages, both Barnes & Noble. Uh, my last stop is at Cool Springs, Tennessee, outside of Nashville, on October 14th. You can find all the information at RaymondArroyo.com. I hope you'll come see me. Cannot wait to see you sign your books and talk about Tad Lincoln and so much more. That's all the time we have for now. Be sure to catch us next week for another update of the Synod Central. Until then, we'll be scouting the world over for all that is seen and unseen. On behalf of the staff and crew of EWTN News, thank you for joining us. I'm Raymond Arroyo. Bye now.